coming up in this episode. You have to buy the glasses, you have to buy the headset, and then spend more money building solutions for those devices just to make use of them. Like imagine if you had to buy a laptop today and then spend another 50 or 100,000 pounds building an Excel software just for you to use it. That's kind of what's, what the industry is like right now. And what we're really doing is we're developing an AI assistant. Um, it's a one-of-a-kind assistant called Cassie. And Cassie is what we call a spatial AI assistant. The biggest mistake that was made in the early sort of social media platforms especially was that they were not transparent about what they were going to be using their data for. If they had been, it probably wouldn't have been as big an issue because that's now caused a huge trust trust issue, broken trust with the general public, especially the, the general public that maybe isn't as tech literate as people like us um, with that concept of giving out data. But then also, I think, finding out that a lot of this data is being used by government bodies yeah. Um, for, yeah. for various political reasons is yeah. hugely concerning. Some investors just want safer bets and some want very risky bets. And if you're not aware of where you stand in that sort of spectrum, that you're, you're not targeting the right investors potentially. The Founders Unplugged podcast, hosted by Greg McCallum. Raw, uncensored conversations with startup founders. So, um, so yes, tell me, how, what have you been up to since we last caught up? Oh, you know, actually, last week we were at AWE, which is the Augmented World Expo. Um, right. It was held in Vienna, Austria this year. Um, and so Phantom Tech was there, and we, we actually unveiled our partnership with Digilens. So it was really great. Cool. Okay, so I'm going to be asking you about that today, that's for sure. <laughs> and I'm sure you want to tell me about it. That's awesome. And Vienna, I mean, a good excuse to go to Vienna, right? Yeah, yeah, they, I've heard, you know, we heard that they had some good beer. We tried it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> were, were, were the rumors right? Do they have good beer? <laughs> yes, definitely. Okay. Yeah. You can confirm. That, good yeah. views. Really good views. They have like um, quite quite a lot of high, high rises there as well. And, and you can kind of get, go up to the top and there were some nice restaurants. You can see the entire city. Oh, wow. Really, cool. really nice city. Yeah. Yeah. I've never been, but I've heard amazing things. So is that your first time that you've been? Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm. Well, it sounds wonderful. Well, look, thank you again so much for joining me. I really do appreciate it. You're being generous with your time. As you know, everyone is on this show. It, it, you know, it's quite a lot uh, to ask a couple of hours of, of your time when you've got so much to do. But I really do appreciate it. And hopefully you'll enjoy it as much as I do. Um, so look, before we get going and, and I'm, you know, start asking you some questions and find out a bit more about what's been going on with you and, and the business and things like that. Um, the only sort of bit of structure in this entire shit show of a show, as I usually say, is at the beginning, I like my guests just to introduce themselves and their business. You can take as long or as little time as you as you like to do that. And then, uh, and then, yeah, I might start, I start probing away if that's okay. So, and while you're doing that, I'll probably share my screen uh, for your website and things like that as well. So, so take it away. Sure. So Phantom Technology is, is, is an AI startup located in, um, Cambridge, UK. What we're redoing really is we're actually developing the next generation of human interface technologies. Um, and, and really the, the main driving factor is the fact that there is this sort of new era of what we call AI powered wearables that's coming. And this is largely the result of the recent progress in AI. So the advent of large language models, generative AI, has sort of sparked this new category of devices, like wearable devices, that have AI as the core functionality um, and, and core feature for users. So a very you know, critical example is smart glasses, like AR glasses. 
AR classes have traditionally been very um, sort of like futuristic ideas and, and you you may have seen some prototypes, but it's not a consumer product yet. And there was a, a lot of it is hardware problems, but one of the reasons why smart glasses has not been adopted at mass is actually because it's, it's hard to sort of figure out what is the use case of an AR glasses and how does that practically scale without solving a lot of challenges, a lot of technology problems. But AI and, and more maybe a, a, more accurately generative AI actually is is a great um, factor for increasing the adoption of wearable devices such as smart glasses and AR glasses because generative AI in essence can provide infinite um, infinite use case right infinite value so an example of generative AI is of course ChatGPT. Another example of generative AI is mid-journey and, and being able to synthesize images. But no one's really seen the power of generative AI in real-time augmented reality. And the reason why that's so exciting is because it can create it can create all kinds of experiences. It can create all kinds of solutions without the need of building an application for each of those use cases. And that's really important for businesses who are currently spending hundreds of thousands of dollars building applications just to use an augmented reality glasses in their factory or in their you know in in let's say in the hospital and that's and that's one of the limiting factors for the adoption of ar is the fact that it's you have to buy the glasses you have to buy the headset and then spend more money building solutions for those devices just to make use of them like imagine if you had to buy a laptop today and then spend another 50 or 100,000 pounds building an excel software just for you to use it that's kind of what's, what the industry is like right now. And what we're really doing is we're developing an AI assistant. Um, it's a one-of-a-kind assistant called Cassie. And Cassie is what we call a spatial AI assistant. Now, what that means is Cassie can provide solutions that relate to your real-time environment. So, for example, you can ask Cassie, you know, hey, Cassie, where did I leave my keys? And Cassie will say, oh, here's where I lost all your keys. Um, and so what it's doing and it's actually it's it's seeing everything in real time it's observing the world it's listening it's also indexing things in 3d space and so then you can query things about your environment or about your experiences that just happened while you're wearing the device um but that's one use case another example is that you can kind of just let's say you go up to your fridge open the fridge and say hey cassie help me cook something with these ingredients and cassie will go all right here are some some of the dishes you can make so we're sort of bringing the power of large language models uh, and generative AI into wearable devices by combining it with what we call perception technology. So that's computer vision algorithms, that's real-time 3D mapping, and so on. So that's fundamentally what Cassie does, and we're embedding that into um, existing and new and upcoming smart glasses. And so our partnership that we unveiled last week was with DigiLens, who have this incredible platform called the Argo, the DigiLens Argo is a um, it's it's a all-in-one augmented reality glasses, and we've embedded Cassie in these headsets, and they're coming out early next year. So that's that was the announcement, and that was what we were showing off at AWS. Amazing! I'll, I'm just going to share my screen now for DigiLens Argo, so people can see what that is as well. Because you know the, these um, these wearables have become a lot more compact a lot less cumbersome um i mean one of the biggest problems with these when they first sort of launched was just how disgusting they looked 
Um, obviously, we got the Meta and um, who was it? What was the glasses company they partnered with? Um, Ray-Ban. Ray-Ban, that's it. Uh, you know, their partnership. And you, you can see there's a there's a, a desire to want to make these things a little bit more appealing, especially to sort of uh, Gen Z and so on. Um, but this this uh, this obviously looks a little bit more industrial, um, yeah. I'd imagine. So so that's their target market, I'd assume, right? Um, yes. That's amazing. So, so you're going to be partnering with it. So is this going to be coming out as standard with their with some of their future products, or is this something that will be like an uh, an add on that that you be, they they'll be able to provide um, with Cassie? It, it, we are targeting it to become a uh, a default assistant. So Cassie right. will be default assistant for Diago. And actually, that's kind of what we're doing with Cassie across um, other hardware providers as well. We want Cassie to be so. So really, our philosophy is that smart glasses should have value from day one. Um, and and what I mean by that is, you should be able to turn on the smart glasses, and you should be able to make use of it straight away. Yeah. Um, Cassie is is in essence able to provide, you know, out of the box value for anyone. So you can just, you know, open it up, turn it on, use it for ordinary experiences. Let's say in this room, I could just say, oh, where are my keys or whatever. But you could also use it in industrial settings, which is kind of the more focused point of um, entry into the market, which mm. is, you know, in assembly line, you could kind of imagine that you've got um, various products or products with, very, with, with variations. And so that can become quite complex for the um for the operator to assemble everything um and and to remember all the components so what cassie can do is sort of help you by just saying hey cassie help me build this product cassie can say all right well here here's here's all the components here's and here's where they are so mm. part show you a path the most, most efficient path to collect them across the factory and bring them back and this example again is it's not pre-programmed because as you're walking around the factory it's able to remember where everything is mm. and then index them and so when you ask like well, how can i build this product it will remember where to find all of the components required to make that product but similarly you can imagine cassie being um an assistant for uh for therapy um or or an assistant for uh logistics or an assistant for uh <laughs> even in in, in example like one of the examples we're looking at which is quite um which is quite fun is could you know could cassie be used um as a extension of let's say your your work life so like a co-pilot but for your environment for your real-time environment so cassie could actually help you let's say you're, you're doing something quite laborious or you're trying to diagnose a problem cassie could help you do that you can go for example you can go up to a boiler and say cassie um, i want to can you help me fix this boiler i have no idea what's wrong with it so it's able to quickly check up the model of that boiler all of that, you know, in less than 10 seconds and, and provide actually a solution and say, you know, try depressurizing it because this this one and here's what and here's the here's the valve, like turn this valve right here. Yeah. And, and this is where it gets exciting when you bring the results back into augmented reality. Mm -hmm. It's actually it's like Jarvis, like we always say is we're basically trying to build Jarvis from Iron Man. That's that's actually the intention behind it. Which which resonates the hell out of me because that's what I've wanted for a very long time. I mean, I yeah, I would absolutely want that kind of assistant. So I think on a day to day basis, the one that really resonated with me as an example as well was when you said about um, in the kitchen opening the fridge, right? Not so much for ideas for recipes because I'm the cook at home, right? And I'm I'm an ex chef, so that's fine. I, I I'm a problem with that. The thing that really bugs me is food waste, 
and yeah. actually having having uh, I was literally thinking about this yesterday. It must have been because I, I was knowing we were having this conversation. I don't know, but I was literally thinking about this yesterday, and I had to throw something away that I forgot that I'd made that was in the fridge. And I thought, how great would it be if there was just something watching my kitchen? watching me cook and as soon as it saw me cook it it went and put it into tupperware it went well i know you've cooked that today based on the ingredients you put in it there was dairy this that and the other it's probably going to go off in about five days i'll automatically remind you like by yeah. the way you've got some leftovers you know so when i open the fridge I go, don't forget about those leftovers you know what i mean like that's the kind yeah. of shit that i want technology to be doing for me to be useful um you know and 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 save a you know a shit ton of money and you imagine that in an industrial kitchen setting as well like the 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 the, the use cases there are phenomenal because having worked in those environments too the food waste is just ridiculous um yeah. you know so it's it's interesting you know if you if you think about what ai is really good at ai is is that ai is really good at um sort of bringing large-scale knowledge and large-scale data together very quickly like if with the recent advent of large language models, you you can basically query anything about anything, right? Mm -hmm. And it's and the way we look at it is it's it's um, it's it's mediocre at everything, <laughs> right? Right. Um, so you know you can you can oh, story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a it's like a mediocre chef. It's a mediocre you know mm. teacher. So when I say mediocre, what I really mean is that it's it's good. It's not great, but it's good at pretty much anything mm. now what's uh where where we can kind of imagine this going forward is that you can let's say you have a business and your business is dealing with uh, food waste um but you also have your own kitchen let's say and so you're kind of figuring out a channel to distribute the remains of your food so that, that in that scenario you can kind of fine-tune cassie by just speaking to cassie and teaching cassie about your business teaching cassie mm. about your kitchen and the assembly of the whatever it might be, Cassie can kind of start becoming more um, focused and more aware of the specifics of the more of an expert on that specific topic. Yeah, precisely. And we yeah. we say the thing where we're like Cassie is a um, think think of Cassie as an intern on day one, but an expert on day two. Right, right. Yeah, which yeah, which is essentially what we we're seeing with some some specific um models that are being trained on very very specific tasks so they they, be, they they very quickly surpass their human counterparts once they're given a very strict a stringent focus on a, a particular domain right um and yeah j just going back to your um example as well on like skilled labor and unskilled labor as well so when we're talking about factory work and and assembly lines and all that sort of stuff i mean i you know as you were explaining that i was just thinking of the huge profit saving potential from not only the speed but also about the training uh, potential for new for new employees which typically means someone else has to come off the assembly line in order to do the training um that they can take a very you know a substantial amount of time before getting to a certain speed whereas if i suppose someone has just put on a wearable perform the task at a decent sort of speed and, and level of quality it it will remember that cassie will remember that and then when someone else puts it on it will just show them this is what the best person in our business has done you just need to replicate that and i think that's 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 astounding for, for the potential that can save businesses especially when you you then scale that up to potentially hundreds of people that mm -hmm. hundreds of you know locations the, the the shaving off of those minutes or the seconds in in in, in that is is worth an enormous amount of money exactly and you know you actually stole one of, you just like literally took the words out of our 
our mouths in that sense because we've been looking at we've been looking at um that exact scenario uh there's a few companies that there's a reason i'm a commercial advisor man yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a few there's a few companies that have actually said they've um that 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 there are there are basically you know um there are skilled workers in in their factory who've been doing that craft for many years and there is a sort of a shortage of labor to replace the next gen you know to replace the current generation um and 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 the training programs are not you know it's quite tricky not everyone can do them so really how do you train the next generation of skilled workers to do certain things that are very you know that takes years to to, to master um and in essence a lot of those things actually you know you can actually it it is it is teachable but it's a it's a matter of like how do you first of all how do you trans transfer the knowledge like are you really gonna go old school you know do because currently they do these sort of training programs a lot of times where you've got to watch videos I mean, it's still quite new school in that sense but mm -hmm. also in the sense that the materials like they're not they're not um they're not necessarily contextual like you have to sort of remember a little bit of everything and try and learn and try and but how do you put it to practice is also how you learn sometimes so i think where Cassie kind of comes into that example is you can put the le lessons you've learned into practice with Cassie as the co-pilot, watching over your shoulder and assisting you and being able to say, oh, you know, don't forget that little thing over there, you know, add this mm -hmm. next. And you kind of forget in the middle of something, you're like, what was the what was the next step? I can't remember. Cassie can provide that next step as well. So holding your hands and, and bringing confidence to, to, um, to, um, interns or, or or new work workforce that that could be really powerful as well and like you just said as well like it, it can it can learn so so presumably if you were like let's 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 stick with this example because i love it like if, if you were to, to to do what we were just saying and you know have someone uh perform the task with with, with cassie present to learn it and then give that you know wearable whatever it is headset whatever over to a trainee a new starter and say right now now follow Cassie's instructions. Presumably, you could still begin that journey with with that expert present, talking them through additional tips. And Cassie's going to be listening in and refining further, right? So it could be like, actually, if you do it that way, you can shave off a minute. You know, this is a bit safer, and all of that narrative, you know, narration, I suppose, that you would normally do in a, in a in actual shadowing kind of training scenario. Then Cassie's going to learn how to also shadow the train on top of just show the basics. So that that's a really interesting concept for refinement i know vr is used uh used somewhat in in um industrial settings now i've seen it used in things like welding for example for, for where you know materials are expensive mistakes are expensive and dangerous yeah. um so you know you wouldn't want to you know the, the whole premise of that as a sort of go-to-market strategy is you know save time you know say you know de-risk you know all that kind of thing and save money um do you, do you do you see that there's the sort of the future of augmented reality as a whole uh, or, or xr as a whole i should say is a combination of these two technologies of like ar and vr or or would it do you think it's going to lean more towards ar in the future i think there's okay that's a really interesting topic altogether there's a there's so many terminologies there's ar there's vr there's xr there's mixed reality let me let me start with just some definitions because i'm I have yeah. a, I'm a bit of a nerd about this. So, <laughs> so that, so like another one way of thinking about it is actually this continuum that was created by Milgram et al, which is that on one end of the, one, one end of the spectrum uh, or, or continuum, you've got the real world, 
right? Mm-hmm. And on the other end of the spectrum, you've got the virtual world. And then you can imagine it as sort of a continuum because as you're progressing towards the virtual world, you're adding some augmentations to the existing real world. So that's augmented reality, right? Mm-hmm. And as you get closer to the virtual world, so you have more virtual ex- experience and less of the real worlds there, we call that um, augmented virtuality. So you can figure out it's like a reverse of AR, but coming from the other direction. Mm-hmm. And then everything in between the real world and the virtual world is just mixed reality. Now, now this is this is where it gets interesting. So that's typically what, what was like an academic definition of those things. But in recent years, XR is sort of this umbrella term to define both VR and AR. But mm-hmm. VR and AR are very different in essence, right? That one of them is VR is all about um, sort of simulating a synthetic experience of a, of a virtual world. And it's it's done by blocking the real world and replacing it with the synthetic one. Um, and, and it tries to simulate, you know, the experience of movement, the experience of, you know, 3D and all of that. Um, augmented reality is the, the, the superimposed, well, it traditionally is about adding virtual content into the real world. Mm-hmm. But here's here's the thing right spatial computing as a whole is just this new paradigm shift in computing so all of those things whether it's ar vr xr mr all of those things are a new kind of interface for computing it's the spatial computing is is whether it's whether you'll have like what do you have whether you've got a content on your table that's just like let's say a virtual object on your table or you're in a completely immersed VR world they're all just spatial computing because that's fundamentally the sort of transition we have in in the interface technologies. Um, now, I think this is the kind of bet that we're making is that we believe AR is, is not a visual medium. And, I, and this is a bit of a contrarian view, right? AR has traditionally been viewed as a visual medium, as a medium where it's all about how you see the world, where you add virtual things in the environment. The way we view augmented reality is that it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a medium for the mind. Um, so what I mean by that is, it's able to provide information in real time about your environment. It's able to, to help you in that example, right? Help you achieve a certain task. So when you really frame AR in that sort of practical way, you can kind of say, well, AR is more of a, it's, it's actually a, an interface, right? But it's able to, to improve your cognitive capabilities because it can provide. Basically, if you combine that with AI, if you combine that with the internet, if you combine that with all these different existing technologies, AR is an interface that can enhance your cognitive capabilities in the real world. Whereas VR is about simulating anything and being able to put yourself in any world and any experience. So there is a difference there. But I think with VR, the advantage is that you can kind of, you know, again, you can simulate something that could be dangerous, that requires maybe um, that could be expensive, that requires training beforehand. It can um, allow for mistakes. Precisely, yeah. yeah. When you're in the production line, you you probably want a smart glasses to just have there and be able to assist you and, and it just enhance, mm-hmm. your, enhance your workflow. And it's not just about training as well. When you're actually doing something over and over again, I think that's, exa- that's an example where AR can be very useful because it can navigate from, you know, dynamically navigate from one place to another, because uh, in an assembly line, assembly line, things are moving, and sometimes even like objects can move from one place to another in a factory. 
and keeping track of that can, can be quite cumbersome. So if there's people, you know, multiple people wearing AR glasses and every, every, everyone has a view on that factory, you can imagine the factory being updated in real time from def, you know, many sources at the same time. So each person is like viewing the, the a, a portion of the factory and updating this like digital representation of a factory or a digital twin. And so, that, you know, so someone else could have viewed a screwdriver move from one place to another, but you have access to that update. So you, you, when you ask where's a screwdriver, it knows where it was last, where it was last seen from someone else's viewpoint. So you can kind of imagine that Cassie is a shared conscious. Um, in those example, you, you know, AR is a, <laughs> it's an, ex, it's an extension of your mind, really. Mm -hmm. See, I, 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 I'm both equally excited, but also slightly concerned about that vision of the future in a sense because like i said like even my example of just having say a camera in the kitchen that was watching everything i was doing tracking it um you know not even necessarily a wearable but but having having that sort of technology you know either in a wearable or, or just just viewing like you said to create a digital twin with with the sort of spatial awareness and and, and understanding of visually the things that i'm doing and so on you scale that up to to then an in industrial situation as well even that has con i can i can see those who are already concerned about the surveillance sort of state that we live in becoming terrified by that notion and anyone listening to this right now or watching this right now who have that who already has that inclination would be terrified by that concept of say you know hundreds or thousands of workers all essentially being surveilled by an, an artificial intelligence for whatever reason because of that that is begging to be misused in certain scenarios right um now obviously you know cctv being part of the current surveillance state um sort of solution i understand we understand it's for safety it's for, for being able to to monitor people and and provide provide um you know oversight and um and uh whatever word i'm looking for um and, and a certain level of, account, of accountability, right? So if something, someone commits crime, we can play it back and we say, look, see, we understand that, but we also understand that in certain countries it can be misused. Where, where Do you think that we're sort of entering into a potential moral moral crossroads when it comes to this sort of thing? And, and, and if so, how do, we, how do we prevent it from being misused? I do, yes, I do, think, I do think so, yeah. And I think it's really important that we actually try and carve the path that we want because it's very easy for this kind of technology to be misused, but but also the way you design a technology from the very beginning needs to sort of consider these things. Because if you don't, then it you get it can kind of get to a place where it's a bit too late. Mm. Because if there's an existing adoption and it's growing, and it's you know let's say it's got a certain kind of technology in use that's that has maybe. Um, maybe it's not really centered around privacy or maybe it doesn't consider how to manage data properly then you know if it if it's growing as in terms of adoption and it will grow in adoption if it's useful like mm -hmm. all technology then it might be too late to change that or do that or to to, or to have the impact you want to have in the right way so you i think the importance the important part is designing technology from the very beginning with that in mind, with those kinds of challenges in mind and addressing them from the very beginning. So for example, I'll, I'll give you a very simple one, which is quite quite well known in the industry. Like if you've got an AR glasses um, and it's got cameras facing you know, the world and, and sees everything in real time, the most important thing is that 
you don't want the system to record images of the environment and to share that on cloud. Like you just don't want that. You don't want <laughs> you don't want to be wearing your glasses in your kitchen cooking. And then even if it's let's say quote unquote secure, but even if it's secure, but it you know and it's on the cloud, whoever whichever company owns that server or can see that data, that's still in is is a violation. Still, of privacy. It's still and it's still vulnerable. People people will access yeah. it if they really want to, right? Yeah. 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 So so right there, it's an important. Um, design decision to make to say that the, the the images the raw images and videos and sound never leave the device and go cloud they stay on device in fact what we're trying to do actually is we're working with some companies that that develop the architecture right that have built the hardware and companies that build this system on a chip we are trying to advocate for the um chip designers to actually consider creating a separate separate system or separate chip that handles the images the raw images and then that never leaves that chip so that's even even you know um less less at risk of of be, of, of being either stolen or of, of the data being leaked mm -hmm. so that you can kind of go lower and lower level and try and mitigate that risk as much as possible and i think that's the that's where it starts you've got to start there so it, you think of it this way if you treat smart glasses as the beginning of of what we call uh, the the big merge, right? Merging with the computer, right? Merging with systems. And if you, if you sort of play that out in the future, you can imagine from smart glasses going into some kind of brain computer interface technology where you have a chip that's maybe sitting on the outside of your skin and it's kind of reading some of your brain patterns and eye tracking and all of that. And 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 these technologies exist and they're coming. Mm. And they will become part of the how you know the interface of how we interact with a computer. From now, it's important to design. I think really important to design these kinds of devices that that kind of uh, that that protect the the users' um, personal, but also biometric or cognitive even uh, information locally, and only really you're, you're only sharing knowledge-based or query-based um, uh, data that, that you can retrieve from, let's say, a large language model in that scenario, or be able to access yeah. some kind of real-time information about the world. You, just, you need to preserve that locally. And I think that's one of the most important things uh, to address. I mean, I agree with you, but I, unfortunately, I, I think that you and I both know that that's a very idealized version of, of the way things will go down. Like, you know, if we, like you said, if we, we look to that future of, of, you know, AR glasses and wearables being the sort of the, 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 the first generation and that they are going to get more advanced, like there, by that very definition, more and more companies are going to be able to uh, access the technology and create their own versions of these as it gets cheaper and more readily available. And there are going to be bad actors that are, want, are going to want to get in on the action, right? You know, you can, you can imagine some, I'm not going to name any names of any countries, but I mean, I think we all know which one I'm talking about, but one that's very prolific for its industrial industrial uh, sort of side of things, but runs a pretty uh, harsh regime. Um, 
that well i'll just say it, it's fucking china uh, <laughs> i don't know why i was pussyfooting that around as if i care i've never cared on this show anyway um but you can just imagine chinese companies maybe taking a, a version of this technology and replicating a version of this os and this ai for example and putting it to bad use and and i don't think it even needs to go necessarily as far as china to get there i mean if we if we just stay with where we are right now and your technology for example and look by the way i'm just exploring here this isn't to try and poo your technology i think it's fucking amazing but like um even even if we were to stay where we are on the technology as it is, presumably, let's say the owners and the managers and, and the shareholders of a company who are going to adopt this technology will say, yeah, we love it, but we're going to want to see a dashboard, right? We're going to want to see some overview information of the the you know the the overall sort of net speed of people on the on mm. the floor um the you know performance metrics and this that and the other now of course that will be used to make some determining factors let's say when it comes to layoffs right mm. uh, and, and you know say the company goes through a hard time well then it's just like okay uh you know cassie or whatever ai is running the show at the time tell me who are the hundred people i should be laying off based on performance, you know what I mean? Like even that, and that, now that isn't necessarily nefarious, that's just business, but you, I think you can, it's easy to see how that can then jump, like very easily because of like, they're gonna require that data. And I think it's not an unreasonable thing to ask, you know, a company like yours um, oh, and, and, and others moving forward to have that sort of data, like that's the point of it, right? Make business more efficient. But you can see, I, I think how that can then get in the hands of, of, you know, some sort of company in China that's maybe not got the best interests at heart of its employees, like how that can be misused, right? And that's the concern because it will be, let's yeah. face it, it will be. Yeah, no, you're right. I think AI is one, part of that discussion but i also think just just data just straight up data is another part of that discussion right in that, in that example with what you just shared with the uh dashboard and sort of analytics let's say mm. you can kind of you can do that right now you don't, you don't need smart glasses for that you can kind of do that oh, yeah. On, yeah. you know how much time someone spends on the pc or a computer or whatever exactly and those tools are already exist in software and, and things like that to a degree to, to help make these decisions already yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and it, it really comes down to company policies it comes down it comes down to perhaps regulation and, and other things mm. like that i think the part that's scary is the ai aspect of it because you know again you can do those things but the part that ai can comes into the picture and becomes a bit scary is where AI is, is able to make its own interpretations, mm. perhaps persuade others to do things that they wouldn't otherwise do. Right. So in that example, what, what, rather than the dashboard, what if the AI sort of started gossiping, mm. <laughs> to, you know, gossiping about someone not performing well to, 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 the, to the manager or something? And then that, that's, I think that's a bit more of a, um, because that, in, that, in that scenario, the human agency is lost, right? We want to, you know maintain the human agency in, in, in all of this so how do you provide value but also ensure that there is there's no loss of human agency mm. um, it's really hard right that's not an easy topic because some can argue that right now even we've kind of lost some human agency with things like social media mm. and we're influenced by technology that we use you know right now if i google something and i'm trying to find out something and if if <laughs> If it's higher in the ranking of the results, I'm already kind of persuaded by Google's yep. results to check out that article or this article or whatever. And there's there's a lot of influence there. And uh, yeah, you've got to figure out who, who is controlling that piece of technology that is curating results. And if it's not just, it might not be a company, it might be AI, that it could even be an open source AI doing that. It's still mm -hmm. a little risky because you've got to, you know, 
figure out how do you avoid it persuading others doing certain things that is that that that, that removes the human element from from the equation of decision making and even even worse over time erodes agency for human beings if if it can if it scales up and and it starts you know making its own um decisions and influences i think that's scary but um but, but it will always be driven by human agenda to a degree, right? So, like that example in China, for example, if 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 you know the the uh, the, the the Chinese Communist Party were to, to say, look, you know, no AI can can be out there unless it's continuously keeping an eye on anyone that says anything anti-government. Mm -hmm. That like that that wouldn't be a surprise because of that is currently the state of technology in China as a whole, right? And I'm using China as, as just one example. There are obviously many, um, but you know that that that's I think more concerning for me when it comes to AI and, and technology as a whole as we look for, look at right now and, and look ahead is actually is the human um, the human uh, uh, bias that that we you know we put on top of it, which is you know we had that AI conference recently. I was yeah. yesterday, wasn't it actually? Which, yeah. yeah. Yeah, which me saying that will probably age this podcast badly because it, we, you know, spoiler alert, we record these really well in advance. Um, so uh, people are going to figure out now when this was recorded. But um, yeah, and and I haven't actually caught up on any of the the, the, the keynotes or anything from that. But um, obviously, that's a big concern is is, is human bias on it. But um, it's interesting, man. It's it's super super interesting. But to go back to to because I don't want to sort of dwell too much on on the the the, the potential negatives <laughs> of the solution you built because it's like, I don't want to take away from the the, the amazing achievement I, 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 it is. I think I think it's important to, to discuss those though. Those yeah, things. I think they're really important and 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 uh, it's not just potential negatives. It's also in when whenever you create a new kind of technology, of course there's good and bad. And then the use the use of that could be could be either or both. Um, but what's really important is how you design it to maximize the potential for good right like to maximize the the utility of it or the use of good and minimize the risk or minimize the, the use of bad you can't perfect that equation but you can maximize it in some way that 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 favors the good uses um but i was just going to say like i think there is another thing here which is um you and i are happy to sort of i mean i don't know about you right but most people are happy to give up on a lot of things like even their personal data right now for incredible utility mm, right no, I, I i i am all for that yeah absolutely yeah yeah like google is a great example of that where again i'm just using the same example but you're happy to you know you're happy to say all right you know what whatever just take my search results i don't care like you know do that mm -hmm. fine you take but give me great search results right give right. me really good the best provide value provide that's the, that's the exchange yeah. that's the exchange and similarly with chat gp and it's free right and that you got to really question why is it free that's why it's free there is an exchange here and similarly with <laughs> with chat gpt it's another example of that where you're saying well it's, it's a little bit different actually because it, it can and my hope is that we actually go a little bit backwards in the sense that we do go back to the age of you know subscribing and buying software because we've become so used to free software that we don't realize how we're paying for it. And I think the world is catching up to the realization of, oh, we've been paying for it all along, just not the way we thought we were. Um, but but I hope that we go back to the way of, you know, may, maybe this is a bit, of a bit of idealism, but maybe one day we can kind of go back to the age of actually paying for software. And if not, then having a more honest and transparent exchange that's that's kind of what I believe is happening now. 
with the example of Google, again, going back to that example, you're happy to give up on a little bit of something to get a lot of something back. I think with AR and smart glasses, it's the same thing. If the utility is like 10 times better than Google, right, or 10 times better than the next best thing, you're happy to give up on a little bit of something to get all of that. Now, not saying that it should you should give up personal information, nor should you give up sensitive information or, or things you just don't want to give. You should have, of course, agency again. But there is there is an argument to be made that when the technology is incredibly useful, you're happy to give up a little bit of something to get the utility of that technology if it provides enormous value. No, I agree 100%. And, and I'm actually probably on a bit of an extreme when it comes to that. Whereas I, in the sense that I, you know, having grown up and been a huge fan of science fiction, like I think most of us are in this sort of space, um, because we're trying to make it a reality. You know, I remember watching films where, you know, the, you know, you'd see characters getting up, uh, you know, walking around their house naked, going to the toilet, you know, going to you know, going going to the bathroom, going to the toilet, brushing their teeth. And all the while there's an AI, you know, evaluating the skin and muscle tone and, you know, analyzing the, the pee in the, you know, in the toilet and just giving out a bunch of tips like you need to take this vitamin today there's the vitamin like this that and the other. i love that i don't need the privacy in my own home i think the concern is when you know that like you said that information can be potentially misused um and you know it's, it's then being shared and then across the cloud or, or other networks that could that could mean it uh, puts you at risk uh, you or your family or your loved ones at risk that's the concern i am happy. i don't care have my own personal data if it provides value and a better experience for me you know absolutely i don't even mind the ads to a degree because actually, if I give, you know, because that is primarily the, the, the reason why these platforms are free, to your point earlier, um, is because, you know, that's the that's what they're, they're, they're trading in is our, as our data for, for advertising. I actually don't mind that as long as, again, the ads are relevant because if I'm happy to be advertised to. And, and actually, I prefer to be advertised to in a way that is more relevant to my to my likes and dislikes. You know what I mean? Like, that's actually better for me because occasionally I'll see an ad when it's well optimized. And I go, actually, that is something that. That, that I would like. Well done. <laughs> you know, I didn't mind that at all. Just don't, just don't, you know, go behind my back and sell my data to someone I don't want. That's, I guess, that's right. like, that's that's kind of come in and say, look, what are you yeah. doing with my data? Is it really just for ads, right? Or as in, is it really just to refine your algorithm so you can have better targeting for ads, or is there something yeah. else going on? I think the problem is we don't know what happens, and I think that lack of transparency is where people kind of go, well, if I don't actually know what's happening, then I'd rather just not share my data. Yeah. And some platforms you know, are offering alternatives. Um, but yeah, you're right in the sense that a lot of people are happy to get the utility of that exchange. Mm. I think, I think the yeah, you're right. You, you, you've hit the nail on the head there. I think the biggest mistake that was made in the early sort of social media platforms, especially was that they were not transparent about what they were going to be using their data for. If they had been, it probably wouldn't have been as big an issue because that's now caused a huge trust, trust issue, broken trust with the general public, especially the, the general public that maybe isn't as tech literate as people like us um, with that concept of giving out data. But then also, I think, finding out that a lot of this data is being used by government bodies yeah. um, for, yeah. for various political reasons is yeah. hugely concerning. If you are enjoying this episode and want to support the show, please like and subscribe with notifications turned on. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and again, like, OK, if you agree to third party use, well, you wouldn't assume that third party includes government, but of mm -hmm. course, that's still a third party, man. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you should have known. But again, it's about being clear on that. Maybe it's, you know, when these organizations started, they had no idea that it would get to that point. Yeah. And that's a valid thing to say too, right?
yeah. yeah. You know? Well, from a technology standpoint, I think we do. We are exploring um, how this could actually, like, some of the ways that you can kind of mitigate that longer term. Yeah. So one example is we we're talking earlier about like the the, the, um, the cutoff point of cloud-based, you know, information share. So like you have, let's say, all the, the technology that currently, I'll give an example. Currently with Cassie, it, everything that is perceived that is perceiving in its environment. So like it's able to hear you speak, it's able to see the environment, detect things. All of that is happening on device. All of that. The, then the only aspect of that bit that is being shared to the cloud is when you ask a question that requires knowledge-based response. So what I mean by that is quite like, you know, for example, I'll, you know, I'm wearing the device and I go, um, what, which shop can I, can I grab a, you know, wh wh where is the nearest grocery shop that's open right now in that very moment? It's, it's not, you know, the only thing that's being shared is that question, general question with this, with my context and the context could represent, all right, my location, and you know kind of similar how with mobile phones work really but yeah. all the information about your surrounding that really really um sensitive bit of information isn't isn't really going anywhere outside of the device mm -hmm. but just playing that forward what we're sort of kind of looking at long term is can we have the knowledge part as well to some extent be local because one of the things with large language models which is really exciting is that in essence they're a compression of the internet so the largest of the largest long, large language models are like trained, they're the enormous models trained on pretty much the corpus of the internet, right? Everything from image text, et cetera. And what they do is they essentially represent the entire human knowledge in a, let's say, you know, a, a n number of gigabytes, but a file ultimately. And it, in essence, that's a compression of human knowledge. So. Mm -hmm. Can we compress that further so it sits on a let's say a, a 50 gigabyte storage device like you know on a, on a glasses if so you can imagine a future where actually even the knowledge-based stuff is sitting locally and so there is the cloud aspect becomes more about connection of real-time information rather than the knowledge part as well and more of like a, the, the cloud aspect then becomes more of a library to keep updated on, yeah. on information to reach out to as and when needed and pull stuff in as opposed to a place where it lives i mean that that essentially transforms then the the ai to a very very personal ai and essentially an, a, a technological extension of the human brain you're, what you're doing is you're saying we're adding five megabytes additional storage to that human being in a very i mean that's that's very much moving into the realm of of becoming a, a, a an augmented human being at that point, because yeah. that is, if it stays local, then that yeah, that that's what that becomes essentially. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine a future where you land on Mars and you need to build a base, and we all need superhuman knowledge to do that, mm, yeah. um, and you can't connect, you know, to the internet of the uh, maybe you can for like certain information or real time again, real time communication, but you want to have all of that. You know, even if it's even if it's like a, a laptop that you carry with you that is connected to or something like that, what mm. where it represents the world's knowledge in your fingertips, uh, then mm. that would be ideal. But you're absolutely right. I think the way we're viewing it is that this is the beginning of that human augmentation stuff. Where mm. from now, smart wearable devices can. I mean, right now, actually, even we can say that smartphones are in essence making us a bit of a cyborg. Like me having yeah. that. Search anything, anytime, anywhere. 
Well, there was a famous futurist, wasn't there? I can't remember his name now, who, who said we are we have entered we entered the age of the cyborg already um, yeah. as a result of the the dawn of the the smartphone. That, that's yeah. that's our first entry point into that. Precisely, yeah. And, mm -hmm. and smart glasses just bring that closer to our brains, really bring that closer to our to our use cases as well, because it's mm. that's that, that's what kind of what I, what I mean by AR is the interface for that, right? Because it's it's bringing the AI, the component, the internet, all of those things closer to you. And it's, it's making it easier for you to access that information. And it's the bandwidth problem, right? So like right now, if I want to access information, I got to open Google, use my thumbs to type something in, press search, and then maybe I have to add more context about the certain problem I have. With ChatGPT, it's getting a little bit easier. I just ask a question and, it, and then, but, but the problem with ChatGPT is that it doesn't have awareness of my physical context. So that's right. the next stage, right? So that, that's what we're doing, Cassie, is, providing physical context into that query and so now you can just ask a very quick question and you don't have to explain the explain your context so yeah it's it's the bandwidth problem that is i think that you can get using ai to improve that and ai kind mm -hmm. of takes more in um implicit input and uses that to infer your context or infer your intention behind the question and that's kind of the the technology that's going to improve the the uh speed at which you can acquire information with smart glasses versus let's say um a smartphone but yeah the, it is the age of cyborg we, we've, we've yeah that. yeah which is hugely exciting at least for me I, I know some people find that sort of stuff terrifying but i find that really exciting um yeah and there's, and there's the interface problem as well which is like you said there's you know which is to your point about the speed I, i've i've heard talked about a lot which is you know essentially the fact that the, the human brain works at a certain speed that our body can't keep up with essentially right? because of the the barrier between a brain through a uh you know a fleshy suit uh to to then the technology that that, that then again behind a, like you said that an interface or you know a piece of technology um so there's a lot of there's a lot of barriers between us and the information and it's about trying to thin those down i guess isn't it or, or eradicate them as much as possible what what do you make of um of of some of the the, the technologies um around sort of brain interface uh technologies i mean obviously there's there's the, uh, what's the one that elon's working on uh Oh, what's it called? Neuralink. Neuralink. But there's 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 even ones in in the market now. I actually had one a little while ago. I, I've since sold it because I, I wanted to just play around with it, which was like a little device that sits on the back of your head and allows you to to move things around uh, in a in a, 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 a simulated environment. You know, mostly for gaming. I think it was the idea. It was a it was a dev kit for that that I played around for a bit. It was really cool. But um, yeah, what's your thoughts on that? And 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 maybe the applications in in AR, are there, are there any applications there, do you think? Oh, 100%, yeah, I think. Yeah. So going back to the point of bandwidth, I think this is kind of where it comes in. So if you go back, let's say, just go back maybe 30, 40, 50 years, um, the personal computer revolution happened, right, in the mm. 70s, 80s. And the form of input for PCs was really um, keyboard and mouse, like ultimately that's that became the, the standard um, like a pointer and a, and a keyboard. Now, if you measured that input technology on a graph, which is um, precision, um, you would say, okay, a keyboard has very high precision because I can literally click on each key very accurately, right? So I mm -hmm. click on letters, letter by letter, and then every click is very intentional, right? Every When I move the mouse, I am very intentional about where I position it on the screen.
So it's very high precision, right? Then you move forward into the next revolution. Let's say you've got uh, smartphones, so touchscreen. Now touchscreen is sort of bringing the existing ideas forward into a virtualized version. So a keyboard, but on screen. But a keyboard on screen is a little less precise because my thumbs are too fat to click on each key. So now the precision is lower, but there is something to counter that, which is prediction. So now where it gets interesting is that the reason why actually touchscreen keyboards work, actually, the, the reason why they even exist and the why we've, we, we've adopted them is because of prediction algorithms where you type and it corrects you. And it, and it does that a lot more often than we realize. So a lot of the time oh, yeah. when we're clicking, it's already able to sort of predict what key you're trying to click on next because you're clicking on three keys at the same time. And it knows, okay, you're most likely clicking on K um, or whatever, right? So pre precision goes down a little bit, but prediction goes up to sort of counter that effect. Then you step into the next, where we're coming at now, which is spatial computing. I actually argue that spatial computing has even lower precision. In this example, let's say I'm using my voice. I'm speaking to Cassie. That's a lower precision than me intentionally moving a mouse or typing a letter or whatever, because now there's all this other context to, to consider because the interface of computer is my world, is my room, right? So mm -hmm. if I'm talking about something to do with this environment in the corner of my room, that is a la layer of interpretation required for the system to know what even I'm, you know, what am I talking about? What am I pointing at? Mm -hmm. So now you've got even lower precision when I ask a question, but you have even higher prediction, which is in the form of AI. And so AI is that next step after the keyboard prediction technology that we've had. Mm. But as we move beyond that, so after this revolution, I think that's where brain computer um, interface technologies come in because that's even less precise because now it's reading brain signals only <laughs> mm. and necessarily having to talk for some of those inputs, but it, it's able to just use your brain signals and try and infer what you're even, you know, what could you possibly be thinking? What the intentions were, yeah. Yeah, what the intentions are. So then even more prediction is required. So, but but, but mm. it seems there's a pattern, which is computers are becoming better and better and better at guessing what our intentions are over time. Mm. That's kind mm. of the inspiration of, of the human and the machine. Yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I'd not, I'd not thought about that before. Because I saw a video recently of, um, I believe it was a woman who was paralyzed, who who was speaking through an AI avatar uh, recently, which just blew me away. I, I, I didn't take the, the time to look into any further, you know, who, who was behind it or anything like that. I didn't have the time, but I came across it and it really blew me away as a, as a great example of how, and I think a lot of people in these sort of conversations forget about the applications of these things beyond just sort of themselves or day to day. There's an enormous amount of people in the world for which these sort of technologies will do more than just make businesses money or make our lives more convenient. It would be absolutely life-changing, like the the contact lenses that were recently unveiled to, to to help with restore vision and you know things like this. It's like these technologies are yeah okay. Super soldiers might use them to go <laughs> and invade you know aliens in Mars, but like but but you know more grounded and in reality right now, it's going to help tens of thousands, if not you know hundreds of thousands of people. Um, those those are the the wins i think that we need to be focused on right and the yeah. and brain interfaces i think are a very clear win for so many people with with you know huge issues when it comes to and not not to mention as well um it'll be interesting to see how the reverse of that interaction unveils too 
right in terms of what technology can can input into a human brain yeah that yeah that's an interesting one i i don't know much about even even thinking about that from a medical perspective mm. you know helping people with uh with with maybe mental health issues right you know people who are maybe more uh inclined let's just go on a very basic level like someone's let's say with bipolar disorder someone who may be very inclined to on on occasion start getting negative thoughts creep in having a a piece of technology to you know to maybe keep that person on track i don't know how that would work because that's not my uh my my realm but that that's interesting too that, that that we can get to a different state um obviously it throws up a whole bunch of other uh potential issues but it's still fascinating and has great use cases you yeah. know yeah, my, my guess is that that's very you know that's that's it's quite far away and we, we might start seeing that in in a clinical format but um mm. but you know that that i would imagine that kind of technology where it will be able to write to oh. the brain would be quite far off but we've already got some elements of that i mean if you think but, about the idea of a pacemaker i, I mean it, it is kind of that right um and i and i do know that there have been some brain implants that 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 administer um like electric impulses and things and certain stimulations um for certain disorders i can't i can't tell you what they are but for certain things that require that to avoid seizures and things like that like so i guess that we're you know there's some i mean it's more more you know uh base level um not not going through the realm of ai but you can see how it's not that far removed no really, from, yeah, yeah you know right i think i think that i remember asking um uh, quite a few people you know, would you ever get a ch chip implant? And actually, what I found is that most people that I've spoken to say no, I would never get a chip implant. But when I phrase the question, would you get it if you had a certain, let's say, disability, um, whether it's cognitive or else, and it could help cure or mitigate those maybe the issues or something, and and they, and they usually say, yeah, maybe. In that scenario, right. maybe. Right. I think I think there's something there, right? If if it could, um, it could be a mental prosthetics in some sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's interesting, because I would argue that we're already, you know, we already have a, a, a disability, <laughs> all of us collectively, in comparison to the technology we created in that we are, we are behind, right? So actually, like a, a great example of that going back to the very beginning of what you were saying about the use case for Cassie and, and, and the product overall, um, is is memory. Human memory is absolutely yeah. awful it is one of our our biggest weaknesses as a as a brain you know it's not that great it, it's it's very very um easy to well it's just it's just bad um and so you know one of the essentially what you're describing when you describe cassie is is it's just a an extension to memory capacity to a degree right because of that's that's what it's able to do and bring up things that you saw and forgot you know or didn't even pay attention to and so that you know in of itself is i would say an an existing uh fault in the way that we have been you know put on this planet you know however you believe that might have occurred um do, do you know what i mean like that's an existing uh fault in our in our in our development <laughs> it's an existing bug yeah well, some people being... say it's a feature not a bug but i say it's a bug <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly i think, I think human beings are really the thing that they've always done really well is they're great tool makers and mm. like we have to remember we're we're, we're so these are at the end of the day just tools for us so right yeah our our um our uh, tools have evolved significantly and they're they're a form of artificial intelligence but they're just still tools so right it's a it's an extension of us not the other way around 
And but Maybe. but I think it's easy to see it the other way around. It's very easy to fall into the trap of thinking, well, AI is is maybe the super intelligence that we serve. And I think that's not a good, that's not a good way of framing it because it can be very, it's kind of a slippery slope in that sense, if you think about it, because then you start thinking, okay, um, what are we, you know, what, what is the human um, limitation? And you kind of see it as a, as a, as a problem um, like you said, like a bug in some instances, you may see it as a feature or a bug, but but some people will see that as a bug and think of AI as the perfect version of us. And I think that could, that could be that's that's a slippery slope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it could, it could it could be. I think even now, you know, you've got a lot of pessimism in the world about AI, um, but there's also a lot of optimism. But there's also a divide in the optimism where some people are optimistic because they just think it's going to make us less bad and then there are those who think that ai is just going to bring abundance and opportunity i obviously believe in the second um in, in the latter but i don't yeah and i just don't want to think about about it as us being limited necessarily because mm. I, like what does that even mean like this is just this is a tool that we've created so if we can create this tool then we're not limited. And it's, just, and it's just like any other tool, right? You know, yeah. in one person's hands, it can be used to create, in another person's hands, it can be used to destroy. It's just, uh, that's just the nature of things. It's like we can't measure the force of our hand against the hammer and say, oh, we're just limited. A hammer is more advanced. Like, no, a hammer is our creation and a hammer does things that we can't do. But with our mind, we're forming our ideas into material. Like we're mm. very good at bringing ideas into a material existence. That's That's ultimately what human beings are really good at. Mm. Uh, actually actually animals are pretty good at that too but in different ways like birds can build nests spiders mm. can build these amazing webs human beings can create tools and those tools can be you know primitive like a hammer but it could also be very advanced like ai mm. but tools <laughs> i think what's really interesting about the ai discussion in this context as well that people tend to forget is that because people always use, you know, usually the 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 example of a hammer or a weapon, you know, a sword, a gun, or whatever, um, when talking when having these conversations. And I think the biggest differentiator, though, between those examples as the tools we've created up till now with AI, is that a hammer can't talk to another hammer. Yeah. Right. And I think that's a really important thing to bear in mind when it comes to the your position as to either whether or not you're an optimist or a pessimist on the future. And actually, for me, that's why I fall on the more you know, optimistic side of things, because I think if all hammers could talk with each other, they would probably decide that hammers shouldn't be should only be used for good, because they see they could see the you know overall the outcome of that is better for them, yeah. right? <laughs> because if if everyone was to decide to use hammers for bad, what would happen? They would ban hammers. So generally, for the for the hammers to to thrive and to pr proliferate, well, they'll go. Do you know what? We should prevent people from using us for bad things. So I think that there's a there's a certain, that's a massive oversimplification of a quite a complex potential you know future that we're facing with AI. But I think it's just you know if we really were to play that out into its sort of you know into its you know into the future into its finite sort of um, the way things could go with, with, in terms of AI, if you were to really think about AI as being created all around the world for different reasons. Well, I mean, that's likely going to be, in my view, where we would probably end up. You know, I don't know. There might be an AI superpower. <laughs> AI-powered hammers taking out the human race. Okay. <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's a lot of the movie in there somewhere, man. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, there you go. If this if this business doesn't work out, that's what you can do going to script writing, and that's the first one. <laughs> and right now, in the state of Hollywood, they would probably lap that shit up. So yeah. you know, go for it. <laughs> but listen, I I, I want to know a bit more about you, like a bit more, and I think people listening to this do because obviously, you're incredibly intelligent and interesting human being, created something really exciting here. But what what led to this? Sort of take take us back a bit, um, sort of into into yeah what what's first sparked the interest in overall into these mixed reality sort of solutions i think for me personally i so my background is in games technology right. uh, i was doing that at, at university and um undergrad and um pokemon go was just around the corner i remember that this was a, sort of announced and it was coming out and there was a sort of a that feels like just yesterday it does well. it? like but that's what that's got to got to be like what seven years ago now eight years so. ago something like that yeah i think so yeah. yeah um yeah and 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 yeah so 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 pokemon go was just coming out and there was a a real excitement again about what ar could do and it, you know people's interest in ar was 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 going up again because AR had been before that it's been around for a very long time it's not a new piece of technology but it's just it's struggled to become sort of a consumer technology it's struggled mm. to be used in um you know ordinary things it's it's been mostly in military or in aerospace and and other things like that but pokemon go was you know this ar game on the phone and i think for me i was I was inspired by the potential of what that technology medium could do because it was the first technology that felt like could provide utility in the real world in a, in a way that no other medium could do so yeah. it could connect you with the physical world by having you play a game and exploring and you know exploring nature but that's one interest and that's, i think that's one of the things that pokemon go did really well it was get people outside and get them connected with you know with nature with the physical world just move and be physical mm. um but but also technology that that could actually have an impact with uh how you learn about the world and i think for me so i, I built a um an app a location-based ar app called avebury henge and this was designed specifically for the heritage side avebury and Worked closely with National Trust to bring the application to the uh, to the museum that's on site to really compare the experience with AR versus traditional mediums like having a leaflet or a brochure or whatever. And then what we did was um, we created an experience where it was like a treasure hunt. So you can go around looking for clues, you know, in the physical environment and find you know find find those clues and then put them together like a puzzle. And discover something new and learn about that discovery mm. and so what we did was we, we, we put that against the traditional medium and we found that pretty much everybody who who, who um who participated could learn a lot more you know using augmented reality versus traditional medium and they not only learned more but they actually walked around the environment much more so they had they, they explored more of the environment they just were curious enough to go and find more find more clues but also in doing so, they found out more about the environment. In that scenario, I think it was very clear that like augmented reality could could actually be a technology that brings 
brings that kind of brings us back to a physical space a bit more something that smartphones were taking us away from mm. um, but yeah soon after that i gave i just became um obsessive about the tech so i wanted to solve the most difficult problems with ar from a software standpoint because because i'm not an, i'm not a hardware person i'm a software person but i just i just wanted to see what were the most most you know difficult problems so i was fortunate enough to be offered a, a fully funded engineering doctorate um which allowed me to be positioned placed in a in a company for i think like three years mm -hmm. so you're basically doing a phd while you're actually working in a company and doing an r d project and that was really exciting to me um so mm -hmm. i took it on um and the thing that i found you know starting the project was that ultimately the the biggest barrier to ar software or the biggest challenge with ar software is called context awareness it's in essence the system's ability to understand your environment understand your you know what you're doing your context and then use that to adapt the application's behaviors accordingly so the funny thing was that basically my conclusion in the first year of that project was i think the solution might be ai in a sense of like i don't know what comes first like this or some kind of agi because in order for you to have perfect you know context awareness you need a very sophisticated ai system didn't know how to measure that but there was but but it was very uh, it was a big problem to solve mm. so i dropped out of the program and and now going back a bit um just 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 to zoom back a bit so um my co my current co-founder and i actually built a game while we we're at university and we worked together uh, we made this game with no budget as a small team and we got nearly a hundred thousand downloads and we were featured on top 10 you know wow. games on the play store so from our experience we had worked together and we kind of got a sense of entrepreneurship early on mm. But you know, zooming back again, um, he he was he was also working on research, and he was working on a different company in a VR AR startup co co company. Um, so when when I dropped out of that program, we basically came back and said, let's 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 look at this problem together, and we start the business. Um, but for much of the time when I was doing the research project, from a research standpoint, ultimately I was just looking at human machine interface technologies. Um, you know how do you interpret human intent when they are sort of you know interacting with a computer mm. and it was just it was a lot of fascinating stuff but it all led to the same place which is um wearable devices like ar that would eventually be able to interpret your context your intent and then how do you solve that problem and if you can solve that problem and turn it into a business then it's, a, it's going to be an amazing business so mm. that was the motivation behind phantom technology and and when you when you guys had decided you and your co-founder had decided to, to to pursue this had chat gpt already made headlines by that point oh no this was in uh summer of 2019 daniel and right. i we, we we basically came together and we thought all right well um there was there, there was no chat gpt this was before covid um <laughs> the world was very different uh oh, back then i remember those days <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, it's really funny isn't it one day you'll be able to say i lived through a pandemic like that's yeah that's, um, 
it's a very unique experience i was thinking about it with my son like he's eight he was six when it sort of all kicked off you know just started secondary school you know won't remember hardly anything about it when when it comes up now he's like what was what was COVID again what was the lockdown again barely remembers it when he's an adult we're gonna have to remind him and yeah. it's gonna be such an alien thing to discuss and say i lived through that with you guys yeah but yeah sorry continue yeah so uh... <laughs> So we, we, we before before COVID, uh, we we were thinking, okay, there's got to be a um, you know what what are we trying to build? And I think the conclusion we had very early on was we want to build an engine, a software engine that was that would be able to compute real world data essentially and turn real world data and and, and fuse real world data to make sense of context. Um, and you know we 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 grew the team. Uh, we were working part time initially, very very beginning. We we're working part time into COVID, grew the team. On the other side of COVID, we 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 had actually fundraised, uh, so we did a pre-seed funding round at the beginning of last year, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, we um, so we we brought the technology into a sort of a product at the beginning. It was a it was an engine. It was a software development kit, but you know, a couple of years uh, into it, we realized we kind of want to go straight into the wearables market because that's where the opportunity is largest but also less least saturated Mm. Uh, and there was all sorts of problems with that market and with that product segment and so we kind of get got into the habit of let's just see what problems can we solve what are we what what are all these problems let's just solve them one by one (laughs) (laughs) i would never suggest doing that it's not a good idea because you end up just trying to solve a little bit of everything but Mm. the problems at the time were okay well smart glasses there's a category. There's like a large category of smart glasses and, and headsets. On one end, you've got the high cost, high end, bulky, you know, glasses and headsets like the Hololens, the Magic Leap, great products, but very expensive as well, right? Mm. On the other end of the spe- spectrum, you've got low cost, lightweight, smart glasses, but they're quite useless, to be honest, right? So what we thought was, well, um, why is it that these bulkier or, or more more sophisticated headsets are so much more uh capable what makes them more capable and the answer is not this it's not actually hardware um a lot of it some of it can be attributed to the hardware but but a lot of it is is the software and we found that the companies like microsoft like the magic leaves haven't had you know invested enormous amounts of money into building their own operating system to building their own software technology there and and you got to f- remember building a smart glasses or, or or AR headset, you have to kind of start from the beginning in some essence. The operating system needs to be spatial. Like a lot of the things that you just take for granted, like the OS needs to be changed and updated to account for this new kind of computing paradigm. And so what we found was actually a lot of the OEMs that were building the cheaper versions of these glasses just hadn't made that kind of software investment to build that ecosystem. So they built the hardware, but it was missing, like and it was just nothing on the hardware. Mm-hmm. And going back to my point earlier, it was like buying an empty shell and then scratching your head, figuring out how you know what what can you build for this device. Mm-hmm. So really, we basically very quickly pivoted into can we improve the capability of these like lower cost or lo- lighter weight devices and glasses, and to try and improve the capability so much that it surpasses the highest cost or highest version. Mm-hmm. In essence, Cassie was the antidote to that problem in some ways, right? Cassie was supposedly this uh, idea that can we get AI as an offering that we, we have all this technology for perception, for 3D mapping and so on, bring that to these lower lower end devices or 
these um, lightweight devices and make them very capable, make them very useful. Um, and so that that was the that was I think the turning point for the business. And since then, we've been really um, focused on building technology to improve the utility of smart glasses and wearable devices. And we're really focused on just building the AI components and the software that powers those devices. Um, mm. and to it. It's still solving the same problem, though. It's context awareness, ultimately. And and the engine is still a very important part of your your offering, right? In that it provides developers the tools to be able to quite easily create their own tool sets within within AR. Um, what uh, I, I've been speaking with a with an organization recently, um, who I can't say the name of because of we may be working together soon, um, who have created a sort of loco solution for AR and VR, which is really, really interesting. Would you say that there's kind of quite a leap from the skill set needed from a development standpoint, from traditional coding or game development even into something like AR? Um, is, yeah. that, is that barrier, barrier quite high? Um... The short answer is not that high. I think I think I think tools okay. are getting much much easier to use, um, but but there is a design I think barrier. I think this is actually okay. more more of the barrier than it is a technical barrier necessarily because there are some technologies you can like let's say you're using Unity to build an app for for um, augmented reality platform. You know if you're used to using Unity, you'll be you'll be fine. But it's a design barrier, and, I, and what I mean by that is, you got to remember right every single device up to this point. When you build an application, it's contained in that device environment. What I mean by that is, like I make an app on a phone, um, the app experience is on that phone, right? On my screen, on, on that phone. Whereas with augmented reality, <clears throat> the experience is actually with the physical world as well as the device. So you, you have to account for the uncertainty of the physical world. Right. And so how do you design you know, solutions or applications where you, based on the user's context, you have a different experience. Because every time I launch that app, it's not the same experience every time. If I mm -hmm. launch it in a factory, or if I launch it at home, or if I launch the app while I'm walking, while I'm cycling, there needs to be a very different experience. So managing that context switch is something that, from a design perspective, developers, I don't think, are used to. Mm. Uh, in fact, not that many people out there not even know the answer to that question. It's just it's so, frankly open discussion still. Yeah, so, and that's interesting. So, is the idea that Cassie will actually help with that side of things also? Is it, or is it more just from the from the end user interface side of things? Precisely. Yeah, C C Cassie is in essence is the end user interface which manages the switching of context for you. So, in the future, but, no, sorry, but what I mean is, can it can it help with the development side of things also? Well, so there's two sides to it, yeah. So the one side is that there is the experience side. So like the user, let's let's imagine you buy smart glasses. Mm. Um, the future of smart glasses, we believe, is not like the current version of mobile phones and tablets where you have a launcher and you have app icons and you select which app you want to launch. That just doesn't make sense in in, a, in an interface for, for smart glasses. The way we envision the future is that smart glasses have um context as a cue for showing you what you need to see when you need to see it and then you're having the ability to just simply query or say you know open this or, or launch that and then be able to adapt the behavior of that app in real time for you so the interface you won't really be seeing like icons as an app drawer it doesn't really make sense to have that 
you mm. it's, it's, it, Cassie is the interface and Cassie interprets and surfaces information for you. Now, on the other end is where developers can build those solutions and build those applications. But where, how they deploy it is different, right? They can build an app, like an app that's augmented reality. They can deploy it and Cassie as an end solution can, can manage the context of how that app is presented and used. And so right. what we're building in essence is an operating system over time. And we are actually calling it Phantom OS, but that's early stages right now. Mm, uh, I didn't see something about that earlier, yeah. Yeah, that, that will be how that uh, technology manages the interface. Mm. That's interesting because even like, I mean, look, I, I don't know an enormous amount about this, so my example is probably going to be really basic. But even just say like, uh, let's say choosing a color of a particular, you know, uh, graphic that is displayed um, from a developer point of view, like you said, in context, that might not work in low light conditions. So right. having a having a piece of technology within the OS to just make those decisions for mm -hmm. the developers, so they don't have to think about coding that in based on just the context that they have from from yep. user data that would be incredibly incredibly useful just being able to create and not have to worry about those additional things understanding the way that the context is going to be used in the same way that now you have a lot for app development there's a lot of no code solutions there that will just automatically uh, be able to you know change change the the screen to landscape for example you don't need to code a second version of the app in order to do that it just understands or you know changes automatically if someone switches their phone to to, to to dark mode or whatever like there's yeah. you know a lot of that stuff that's just built in and it's automated so that's what we need from exactly. an reality perspective yeah that's yeah, awesome yeah. very exciting so right. what, what the the os side of things then so you're saying that's quite yeah. early days but what's the what's the end goal for that i mean aside from the stuff we just talked about is this is and, and when when do you hope to sort of what's the roadmap for that looking like there's a lot of things i can't share but I, what I will say is that, Go on, give me something. <laughs> yeah, what, what I will say is there's a, what, what, what we, basically what we're trying to do is, again, going back to the point, we want to improve the utility of wearable devices. And we've seen, okay. we're seeing this new era of AI powered wearable devices that, that will really change the category of wearables completely. Mm. Um, and you I noticed, by the way. Sorry to interrupt, but I noticed, by the way, you you say wearables as your uh, as your your term. Yeah. Um, is it? Are you in being intentionally broad there, as opposed to just specifically AR glasses? Because there are some other devices that would fall into that category that can that can also adopt this technology. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And I'll give you an example. You you have these quote unquote smart glasses, right? Where yeah, they they don't even have a display. They just listen, yeah. like, like the Ray-Bans, right? The, the perfect example of that is the smart glasses. It's, but it doesn't even have a, it's not augmented reality in the sense that it doesn't have a visual output, um, but it does have the perception part. It does, it does see your environment. It does have- oh, a, see, I thought it had a uh, an overlay side of things. Does it not? No, no, it's just, it's just um, uh, audio output. Right, okay. And it has camera, but that, that's precisely why we're saying AI wearables because there's all kinds of categories. I mean, you may have seen what Humane announced. I think it was in April. A company called Humane. Um, they announced a product called the AI Pin. The company was founded by ex Apple employees. Um, you know, they, they've worked on the iPhone and they're quite credible as a team. They've raised, you know, several hundred million, I think, uh, dollars um, to build this new what they call new kind of platform for AI wearables. It's called Humane. Right. And it's essentially a device that you clip on and it just has a camera facing outwards and you speak to it and it has a projector. There's no screen. 
but it projects to like a palm of your hand and it also probably projects to your to your environment as well but it's very different it's a very contrarian approach to to the future of mobile computing and i think mm. we'll see where that goes but um there is there are categories or like like that emerging simply because of what ai allows you to do now where you can kind of rethink how these devices could even be built what is the design of these kind of hardware devices you can really really like start from scratch and think from first principles like what 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 is the what is even a mobile device what is it supposed to do for us right we're so 